Um, I love being a preacher who talks about politics. And this week has provided nothing but great topics to discuss, uh, whether in the pulpit, out of the pulpit, with your buddies at the barbershop, you name it, what have you. Uh, we have Colin Kaepernick back in the news. We got Donald Trump's uh, orange tail back in the news. Uh, we got black preachers in the news meeting with Donald Trump. It's just it's just ridiculous. So let's start with the elephant in the room. Uh, we have three preachers in the room this time, as a matter of fact. Uh, don't try to look away. Again, nice-skinned <laughs> brother to another nice-skinned brother. Lance definitely qualifies yeah. as a preacher. If, if, if I can be counted amongst people... The Lord just choked him up, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conviction is what that is, sir. People, no, can, people call me a preacher, and I'm definitely... So, Lance, you absolutely fit into that, that category. Lance has preached a sermon Lance, that I know of. Lance, and on top of that, Lance, you got paperwork on your name. So that also, that also, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's it. That's all I'm saying. I didn't go to school. I didn't. You went to school. I'm self educated. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, uh, so a couple of, uh, earlier this week, was it earlier this week? Yeah, uh, Yeah. earlier last week. Earlier last week. Uh, we have been off for a week, so we apologize. We've been off a week. Uh, last week, uh, a room full of preachers, uh, met with Donald Trump. To discuss prison reform, at least that's the narrative that's come out of the whole situation. Um, and they they go to meet, and of course, Black Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media loses their mind because there were some pretty prominent faces in that room. None more than one, Mr. John, uh, Pastor John Gray, who pastors the Relentless Church in Greenville, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. I am a huge supporter of uh, Pastor Gray and so I was interested to hear exactly what he had to say regarding his meeting and he takes it no place other than to CNN, talks to Don Lemon, tells Don Lemon, hey I didn't have to like being there, God sent me and if God put me in that room to pray for the uh, president and to seek out this reform for prisons and prisoners uh, then that should be it, I shouldn't have to answer to anybody else behind that I agree to it to a to a a degree, I, I agree. However, there was something said in the room for the cameras that I absolutely can't get behind. He's been a nemesis of mine. We've actually gone back and forth on Twitter. I can say that. Uh, me and Pastor Daryl Scott, I loosely call him Pastor. I've never seen him preach a sermon. I don't know if his church is real, to be honest with you. But he and I have gone back and forth because he has been a Trump surrogate since Trump started running. And he said on national television, essentially, that President uh, Donald Trump, y'all's president, not my president, will be the most pro-black president in the history of America. Uh, I would laugh, but I broke that bone laughing the last time I heard him say that. Yeah, so if I'm, I'll just jump in right here because, you know, the comment, most pro-black president in America, didn't elicit one laugh from me. I didn't laugh. I didn't find it to be entertaining I didn't find it to be insightful. I didn't find it to even be controversial. I found it to be a betrayal of the black community. I found it to be offensive to all of the people that Daryl Scott claims to represent. Um, I think that Daryl Scott is a blight on the black community, on the religious community, on the black clergymen of America. I think that Daryl Scott is, um, I think he's tap dancing. 
Oh, he's absolutely tap dancing. And I think he's doing it because he believes it's beneficial to himself. It has no benefit whatsoever for black people. Um, it has no benefit whatsoever to the the Christian black people that he claims to represent. And I'll add this to the, the context of the whole meeting. There was no actual conversation that happened there. And I'm not sure that people understand that. They were brought into that room to listen, to be talked to by the President of the United States. They were not brought there to give their input or their opinions. And so they were allowed to pray. Daryl Scott was allowed to speak because he has endeared himself to this president as being willing to put aside his own community in favor of the president's agenda. But they were not there to discuss prison reform. They were there to hear what the president thought were valid ideas from his own mouth. Uh, and I'll tell you, in my opinion, the way that it comes across is that Donald Trump brought those people there to say to them, be clear, you all are only here because I put a table together and I allowed you to be here. I think it was a message to them. I think it was a message to black America that you think that you're going to be allowed or that you're going to do things without being allowed, but you're only going to be able to go as far as I allow you to go. I think that was the real message. I think it was subliminal. I think that that's really what the intent of the meeting was. I think that's why they publicized it the way they did. And I think that's why we don't have the full context of the meeting because they didn't want to, they didn't want to go as far as to say, here's the full video and here's what, what, what was all said in the entirety of the meeting. I'll, I'll say this much. I don't personally believe that that was the full context of the meeting. At the end of the day, Presidents do this all the time. Presidents take photo ops. Barack Obama invited a couple dozen hip-hop artists and musicians for photo op to discuss things. Uh, what they discussed, Lord knows. Um, Trump has done the exact same thing. And I think we miss key parts. We focus on the fact that black pastors were in the room, but black pastors weren't the only ones in the room. Now, And I, have, I got something else to say about that, too. Go ahead. <laughs> You know, outside of Cut me off anytime. outside of the 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 notable faces, some of the notable faces that we saw, uh, people like Paula White were there. Yeah, uh, John Hagee were there. Yeah, um, these are faces and people who are associated with evangelical Christianity. Yeah, which are which we we Paula know White's there because she's his spiritual advisor. I, that's loosely based. I don't trust Paula White for the heels that she wears. <laughs> but Donald Let Trump alone, does. Let alone her spiritual advice. Um, she, I, re, I would respect spiritual advice from Joel Osteen more than I would res, accept it from Paula White. Okay, so let's talk about it. So, so Paula White's a spiritual advisor. Here we have a meeting of black pastors, and the meeting was called like a gathering of urban pastors or inner city pastors. Yeah. Um, which let's correct him. Black and inner city are not synonymous. I don't think he put that together. I Who, think that's okay. a, I think that's an optic thing because his you administration have, because you have somebody like a Daryl Scott, his Daryl, press person. You have someone like a Daryl Scott who is there who influences things like that. And what, Daryl Scott what is inner city environment. Does Daryl Scott Cleveland lead? He he considered he's he's part of the he's part of Cleveland. His is he part is, of the Ten Point Coalition of Cleveland? I. Hope. <laughs> For those we're just okay, so we're gonna have we to just do this already. Um, 
the thoughts of those who are here at this table <laughs> speaking to the microphone of theirs and theirs alone. Uh, while I don't I'm have to necessarily, asking. while I don't have to necessarily agree with uh, anyone's interest yeah, I speak for or, myself. I, I'm just or, asking or affiliation with any type of ten point, no. twelve point, no point. Anybody who who's who's getting money no in the community coalition. Um, I, I kid, of course. End of the day, no, I don't know that. I do know that there's a name much larger from Cleveland that has absolutely nothing to do with that. Yeah. And I trust that voice more than I trust sure. uh, Daryl Scott, who claims himself to be a megachurch pastor when I'm trying to but think But this how. is what I'm saying. Here in Indianapolis, we can say this. If, if Jeffrey Johnson is invited into a room and in that room they say, we have a gathering of inner city pastors, I think that has more validity to call Jeffrey Johnson an inner city pastor than to call Daryl Scott or John Gray inner city pastors. The men that were at that table, for the most part, were not men that pastor, quote-unquote, urban I mean, inner city churches. My question, though, would be, why would you need to put an adjective on the pastor? Like, we have pastors visiting today. So when you put the inner city or whatever you put on it, you're really putting... A distinguishedness on absolutely you're, you're, you're putting you're that stigma about. on there absolutely so I mean in my mind it's very difficult to get away from equating minorities and people of color to those that specific choice of words inner city urban and then you put that with the imagery of a table of black pastors to me it's it's a very clear it's a very clear tale at the very least that the person that wrote that and I think with the approval of Donald Trump, that person is either tone deaf, and that's my most generous assessment, that they're tone deaf. My my least generous assessment, that in their minds, they believe that black people are inner city and urban. Well, you have to look at it from the perspective of what the president has already put out there. I call him president. I really, I'm really working on my, my holiness. And, and, and holiness the respect, is still right. And the respect... And the respect that comes with a person who holds that office. However, he's as much a president in my eye as uh, Captain Crunch runs a, sh- uh, a cruise ship. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to day, Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch, I respect more than the president right now. But I'm saying that in the sense of he's the same person who during the campaign trail said, black people, what do you have to lose? You know, you're, and he talked about schools being poor, and he talked about poor, you know, poor living environments, and he pretty much marginalized black people on a on a national scale for the sake of garnering maybe four votes. And I, and I, he didn't get the four votes out of the black community; he got another four votes from white people who thought the exact same way. Yeah. Now this is going to be if we're going to talk politics in this, um, it needs to be said up front that. Being black, being a uh, a black preacher, is not about being a colorblind one. It's not about trying to put black people over as more special than anyone else. But race is always going to play a part in how we frame our political conversations. Absolutely. Here uh, at the, in the Church of the Wild, as well as how we're going to address it in the streets. I have white uh, parishioners. I have white people that I love. Uh, dearly, I hold some of them closer than I hold my own blood family at times. Sure, but the the case of the matter is overwhelmingly more white people voted for 
President Trump because of his policies and the things that he said that spoke more to what they were comfortable hearing. Yeah. Things about urban meaning black. Uh, urban music has always been considered black music. This exactly. is why when Iggy Azalea and Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake get with someone like a Timbaland or a Dr. Dre yeah. or a Pharrell or a T.I., they all of a sudden cross over and instead of being pop music, they're now making urban music. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's besides the point. Seeing this room full of majority black faces yeah. uh, around this table with Donald Trump planted firmly in the middle and his biggest opponent in the room leading up to that point was John Gray. John Gray spoke out heavily against uh, Donald Trump as he was running and early in his presidency. And I st and here's why I still rock with J uh, Pastor John Gray. At the end of the day, I don't think that he sat there. The look on his face was not one of, hey, I'm here because I, I celebrate this president and I support this president and I support his policies. I believe that he was there because he felt the mandate uh, or he felt the call from God to be in that room. Sure. I can't speak for everybody else. I believe that uh, Bernice King was in the room, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And she actually reached out and embraced Donald Trump. Sure. This being the, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So you, you have these types of optics going on at this time. And black people aren't a monolith. At the end of the day, there are black people who did vote for Donald, for Donald Trump. There are black people who believe in the, the policies, whatever they may be, mm -hmm. of Donald Trump. I still have yet to see anything that will convince me otherwise. Yeah. I get asked the question a lot. What would what would it take for you to support anything that Donald Trump does? And I can't think of anything. He could literally free Mumia, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal. Mm -hmm. This man has been locked up for 30 plus, 40 plus years. Uh unjustly he could you know he could pardon Asada Shakur he could give reparations to, to black people and I still would have issues based solely on the fact that the policies that he's instituted go directly against what I believe as a Christian not just as a black man what I what I believe in as a Christian you what were you gonna say um I just want to throw in there that with with my commentary what I'm saying is not an attack on that group as a whole for being in that room. I am of the mindset that there are people who must engage and people who must resist in order to have an effective um, effort where, where this administration is concerned. I think that's the way it's been done in the past in terms of success. I think you have to have people that engage the administration. You have to have people that resist the administration. The people that engage are not counter the people that resist. They're a complement to the people that resist. You have people like Bernice King who, in the spirit of Martin Luther King, can go into that room and have conversations and engage that administration on the inside. On the outside, you still need your Malcolm X's, right? And so they're, both sides, in my mind, are necessary uh, in order to, to, to tackle it. So I'm not mad on principle alone of them being there. I'm not mad at them just existing in the room. My frustration is aimed at uh, Daryl Scott's comment specifically of calling Donald Trump the most pro-black president. My frustration is with the titling of a meeting of majority black pastors who have, many of them, thousands of congregants in 
um, uh, 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 nicer neighborhoods than than what middle was class. middle class to upper middle class to affluent communities all the same. These guys pastor people of color that exist in all those walks of life and to put them into a box and say, these guys are the inner city guys. Number one, you clearly don't know who you invited into the room or you, not even or, there is no or. You don't know who you invited into the room. You have invited these men here and labeled this the meeting of inner city pastors and ignored who they actually are and who they actually pastor. And I think that's blatantly seen in what we saw in the meeting. John Gray is not the inner city guy. Like, he's just not. And I'm not taking anything away from him because you need pastors everywhere. I'm just saying that if we're talking about inner city pastors, if the goal is to bring in men that actually affect the recidivism rate of men that come out of prison and go back into prison, if you're actually wanting to engage men that that touch the highest number of kids that get caught up in the school to prison pipeline, you have to go into the actual areas where this is happening and get the pastors from those areas that don't have a name and don't have massive churches, but they're there doing the work and you have to ask them to come in. I think the reason that you that they were all invited into that room and we're going to kind of shift a little bit. I think they're all, they were all invited into that room, not because they are specifically inner city, quote unquote, you know, uh, poverty level or a little bit higher up in the middle class. Uh, I think it's because they're all catch-alls. A lot of the people that were in that room were mega city, uh, mega church pastors, which means that they have people from the most affluent to the most poor. And you kind of, and instead of trying to go in and find uh, someone like a Danell Howard or someone like a, a a David Hampton or a Jeffrey Johnson or a Katrina Dickens or any number of pastors you can find here in Indianapolis, you say, okay, let's pull them all from all these major cities mm-hmm. and say, hey, let's put them all in a room. Yeah. I would I, I would reckon that it's possible that a call went out to a T.D. Jakes or a Freddie Haynes or, and, and these are our larger. I have high, high, <laughs> high doubts about Freddie Haynes ever stepping foot into a room. But I, I'll, for sake, of, for sake of an argument, I would I would venture to say that if to to go exactly what you're saying, these are the types of names that you absolutely have to have in a room. A Jamal Bryant. Even. Uh, I saw someone post. Uh, there's uh, Urban Intellectuals posted. If the president wanted to meet with Ti or David Banner or Louis Farrakhan or something like that, you mean people that actually want to make progress? Absolutely. Yeah. But the question then becomes: Would we? Would we? openly reject those people going in and meeting because let's think about it when Trump was first elected one of the first faces he brought out was Jim Brown Jim Brown we know for a fact has done work in the community and Jim Brown came out and said hey I met with the man and he wants to do something sure and and let's meet but and the very next face was Steve Harvey and we threw both of them under the bus. We said, forget Jim Brown, all the touchdowns he met, he ran for, all the work that he's done in the community. He's a sellout. I think Jim time. Brown got off a little easier than Steve Harvey, in my opinion. And I think that's because people recognized his work. Um, I think that there is a very strong argument for we don't need to meet with a man who considers himself a massa. We don't need to. 
We don't need to take a meeting with the guy whose whose opinion of us is that uh, we ought to go back to the old days where people like that would have been put in their place. I don't think that there there needs to be a meeting with that gentleman until he meets a certain list of criteria where his policies and his administration are concerned. And at this point, I think he's he's shown himself to be. Um, I think he's shown himself to be not only a bigot, but an outright racist. And that's that's my opinion. I would, I would agree with you. I would agree absolutely. And again, we're looking at a man who has, for the better part of 40 years, done just that in any of his business practices. Yes, he's posed for photos with black people. Oh, look, I have, I have photographs with Arsenio Hall and Diddy and all these other guys. But at the end of the day, taking a photograph with someone is just that. It's a photo op. It's It's... It's presentation for you to say, hey, look at what I did and look at who I touched and look at and and either way, Donald Trump was was a master of marketing himself. And that's yeah. exactly what it was used as. Any of these media ops are just that. They're they're opportunities for him to say, Hey, look at me and look what I've done yeah. or look at who I'm surrounded by. And, and and that's what it is. He's a so he's he's I wouldn't call him a social media maven because I think that's being a bit generous. Donald Trump has established himself as a personality since the late 80s, mid to late 80s. He would venture to the 70s. I'm saying 87-ish. Uh, when, when was Central Park 5? Late oh, 90s? Oh, man. Yeah. Early 90s, early, rather? Early, yeah. Early, early 90s. Uh, but even then, that's when he really started to put himself in a position of, hey, maybe I could use some of this money my dad gave me and start doing something that people don't think I can do before. What were you going to say, brother? I mean, I was just going to ask about the whole, I mean, are we getting anything back from them having this meeting? Are we, um, or is it just a, we're going to bring celebrity preachers to have a meeting, Another post, good point. A, post a video, a snippet, and then let, let it just take off by itself. Like, so we don't have all the content of it, but we have some kind of content by what was given or the thing said. So with that being said it kind of shows that there's nothing really being done. This is all for show. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem that anyone has had with this administration. And here's something I'm going to, I was going to say earlier, I fought it. Would you bring that up? I'll say it. And I'm, I might get stoned for this. So if you're looking for me, uh, I'm a fairly tall, uh, brown skinned brother with a mustache, uh, not the <laughs> light skinned brother with the curly hair and the beard. If you see me on the street, <laughs> Took that long to figure out exactly what was going on. People, black people especially, have uh, deified Barack Obama to the point of Jesus and Malcolm, Jesus and Martin Luther King. Um, you go into your grandmama no, house, sir. Let me walk out of that room. Hold on. If you, go, if you go into your grandmama house now, there's the room. picture of Jesus. Uh, usually white Jesus, hopefully black Jesus. Yeah. Uh, looking across the the velvet uh, portrait None at at, uh, at Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. And now in the middle, they're both now staring down on a, an angelic Barack Obama. He's made his way to the mat. Listen, it's, it's I'm what you're saying. I haven't seen oh, this, but I, I can picture it. I can definitely he's, picture it. I haven't he, seen it. He's made his he's made his way to that point. And when he ran, black good on you, Barack. Good on you. What Barack, is, what Barack ran on was hope. Hey, let's go out. Let's change things. My let's God. do this. 
Preach, sir. Okay. <laughs> what what Barack ran on was hope, and everyone got just that. They got their hopes up. We have a black president. We're going to get a black president. He's going to make everything better. Step carefully here, sir. We was given a black president. You were given a black president. Step carefully, both of you. Yes. And being given this black Step. president, and <laughs> being given this black president, the expectation from black people was one that we're finally going to get our just due. We're yeah. going to finally see things happen. I was the only person that I knew that I had Is conversations there ever with. ever been any just due by what There you go, you? sir. There you go. And I'm, and I'm getting there. <laughs> what I said after he shortly after he was elected, I, I watched all the tears and all the people who had thought that they would never live to see the day that a black man will be uh, uh, elected and make it through not one but two terms as president of the United States of America. I said very early on, that the things that Barack Obama is doing or will try to do, we won't see the fruits of for 25 years. Yeah. Even more so with the election of Donald Trump, I believe that not only will we now not see any fruit at all, and even if we do, we won't see it for an additional 20 to 25 years because that'll probably be the next time we see the opportunity for another black person of color mm -hmm. to be able to ascend to that particular office the 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 I, issue I the issue the then becomes crash i think the issue uh, is we put too much faith in someone who is a puppet at the end of the day the president serves eight years max these well, are the opinions of, of the whole speaking. <laughs> Absolutely. And not the opinions of all involved. The president is a puppet because at the end of the day, he only he is limited by Members Congress. Members of the Illuminati, if you're listening. He is limited by Congress. Uh, so Illuminati and Congress, y'all can say whatever y'all want to. Uh, the fact that Mitch McConnell has been uh, in Congress for the past 30 plus years. Orrin Hatch has been in there for 35, 40 years. Uh you, the, these are the things. These are the things that you are that you're looking at, and you're saying, "Oh, well, this president is going to change it." The president doesn't have the ability to go in and say, "Hey, uh, let's make life better for black people," or "Hey, let's make life better for gay people," or "Hey, let's make life better for you know whatever group of people that wants their life to be made better." So while we put all this hope in this in this figurehead, ultimately the president of the United States has, and as proven by Donald Trump, is now as, is, is merely ceremonial, just like the queen in England. I have a complete counter-argument to that, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to dive into it today. Because I have a, a complete counter- Donald Trump is proof that it's not just a ceremonial head, that that office holds sway not over the not over the government, but over the actions of the public. Now, with that said, I'll I don't disagree on. with you. Um, I actually don't disagree with you on that. I, I'll I'll move forward because you know one of the things I don't want us to get too far away from is the conversation about the pastors because the next thing we wanted to talk about was just in individual pulpits. These pastors have shown up and gone into um, this this place that is literally the center of politics the upper room the, the, the upper room of politics the white house and met with the leader of politics and there's a conversation to be had about whether or not clergymen 
men of the cloth, men who adhere to the scriptures, have a place speaking to politics, speaking about politics, and if they do, where should it be? Because many people would say the pulpit is not the place for that. Do we have intermixing of politics and religion in the Bible? I would say we do. Absolutely we do. But there are people, I think the argument that people make is we shouldn't have politics in the pulpit. And I think what they mean to say is that a pastor should not be influencing the way people vote or think about their candidates. Um, I think that they mean that a pastor is not supposed to be a divisive voice. My, and I, you brothers are free to share I mean, what you think about he, that. He's supposed to preach the gospel, and, 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 and he is. He's so supposed to preach the gospel. shouldn't be... I mean, it, 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 it inadvertently falls back on the, the person because, you know, when you put your trust in... Um, you ain't pulling out guns over there, are you, brother? No, not yet. Um, <laughs> when you put your trust into uh, someone else, you have to be very careful at, you know, what you're, you're allowing to your... your, your your space, sure. With you know, within, and so at the end of the day, I have to be. I can go out and listen to a bunch of stuff, but I'm accountable for what I allow to go in and what I deal with. So I deal with it on the accountability there. So it's like, you know, Ezekiel. If you talk, we go through the Bible. Ezekiel had to basically decipher between food and shit or boo boo. Yeah. So it's like, if you're not doing that, then how can you have the argument of what going on over there? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, but then I hold them accountable because it's like, okay, you, you took this call to say you're supposed to do this, this, and this, but yet we don't really get to see your heart of what, Yeah. you know, my question has always been, did they go in it wholeheartedly? And what made them change or what called them to be what we consider some of these bad pastors or, yeah. or whatever. Well, and, so, and, and then my other thing is, what do they represent for the community here in Indianapolis? What do the, the local pastors have to say? What do, so uh, might possibly be a, another podcast where you bring them in and try to get them to have that conversation. Actually, you have someone like that that's actually connected to that exact situation. Uh, the day after this this meeting happened, a letter was for, was drafted and sent to the White House, signed by I believe some fifty odd pastors, including very notable names like Pastor T, like Bishop T D Jakes, uh, Doctor Freddie Haynes, and Indianapolis's own Pastor Jeffrey A Johnson of Eastern Star where they spoke again not necessarily against the fact that these men went into the room and had a conversation and prayed more so what it asked the exact same question you asked what's going to come out of this how is this going to benefit us in the long term because if you're addressing this to urban churches uh and using urban in the sense of speaking to black people 
what do you plan then on doing? How do you plan on doing this? Prison is a start because we understand the school to prison pipeline. We understand the issues that arise in black neighborhoods as far as policing and uh, unfair and unequal jailing. But when is it going to happen? Don't tell us, oh, we're going to do this for you, and then it never and it, ne it never manifests. So this was a letter not just to the White House, but also to the men and women who were in that room saying, okay, now you've gone to that side, now come to us. Okay. And, and, and come speak but to when, us. But I mean, I, I feel like there's, that does nothing. Because you're responsive to what you saw or heard instead of you being there in the room or having an agent in the room like um so the struggle for me is, is why am i going to address something i'm supposed to be a part of this conglomerate thing yeah and i'm having to address something that i'm a part of which makes no sense to me so then it breaks down okay what am i really a part of hmm. so should i even be in addressing this since i'm really not a part of it because I wasn't even brought in. Okay, I can see that. And so it's like, but I guess if you're, you know, you're, I guess the letter to me, I don't see what the letter does. I don't see the letter having any, any teeth to it. Yeah, it's. And, and I respect that. And, and my thing is, <clears throat> when I was thinking about this topic, about, you know, pastors and politics in the pulpit, one of the main things I was thinking about is when we, when a man gets up into a pulpit to speak to the congregation, we always, you know, I'm, I'm a real hardcore, you need to be preaching the gospel, you need to be preaching and teaching Jesus. Um, but also with that, what I think about is there is no real way that you can avoid being political and preach the gospel. There is no real way that you can avoid being political and teach scripture because politics are inherently built into what a person believes. Example, people make voting decisions on topics like life or death, whether it be the death sentence or abortion. People make voting decisions on that. If you're a preacher and you get up into a pulpit, you have to have an answer one way or the other for where you stand on that from a theological position. You're going to have to at some point be, be willing to say, I believe that life begins at conception or say, I believe that life begins at birth and prior to birth, it's okay to abort that child. I fall on the side of life begins at conception. If I believe that, it, it affects other parts of what I believe. Like it's going to affect when someone comes to me and says, hey, do you think that people should, um, should get abortions? And I say no. Well, then they're going to follow that up with, well, if you say no, then you think they should have the baby. What if they can't afford to have a baby? Like now we're getting into helps and the church's position on do we help people? And, and theology touches everything. It's impossible to not be political because theology 
in the Christian system of faith touches everything. And this is why he's called the intergalactic bishop, because he sees this topic and goes so much deeper than what it is. I'm, I agree with him. I'm not going to agree with that. Well, okay. here's, here's why. Here's why I agree with him, but I'm I'm also in disagreement. I think that Americans, and I say Americans, meaning the people that I've interacted with, but this may even be something that you could look at worldwide. When we say something like church and state, or we speak about politics in the church or in the pulpit specifically, we only think of it in a myopic fashion. We only see it as the endorsement of a candidate or a policy or something of the sort. Mm -hmm. While we say that we're against things like that, we then turn around and allow candidates to come stand in our pulpits, stand at our altars, uh, if we're not allowing them in the pulpit. Uh, air quotes. I'm sorry, I forgot I was only recording and not video recording. <laughs> um, but we allow them to come, at our altar, come stand at our altars or stand in our pulpits and address our congregation from this context of faith. And the truth of the matter is, especially in American politics, faith is... Is one of the, is one of the big things that people campaign on now. You're either a believer or a non-believer. If you're a believer, you want to cater to that particular context. So if you go into a church, of course you're against abortion because that's just the the PC thing to say as you're campaigning. But you can clearly tell from the gentleman who is now residing in the White House that while he says he's against abortion, he has gone on record in support of it and not only gone in gone in, in support of Let it but has also on this. encouraged ex-wives to part to to have them done. And I'll drop a bomb on this. We have never had a truly pro-life government ever. When we had a majority conservative Republican uh, Supreme Court, they did not reverse the Roe v. Wade decision. They did not outlaw abortion. If you believe that a child is alive in the womb, this is what I'm talking about. It's impossible to not get political with your beliefs because if you believe that a child is alive in the womb, then you must believe that the taking of that life is murder and you must treat it as such. If that's not true, you cannot rightly call yourself pro-life in the sense of saying abortion is the taking of the life of a child. It's either, it's one or the other. And we've never had a government that has been actually pro-life, no matter what side they say they fell on. That's a con that's a conversation, a much deeper conversation. Yeah, I just wanted uh, to drop a bomb on that real yeah, quick. That's, that's a much deeper conversation. And I'm not going I mean, to I'm not going to disagree with your statement. However, I also believe the conversation to not be a very black and white one. That is a very gray conversation to have. Oh uh, yeah, no, this is. I wouldn't say that. I mean, the way I disagree is is basic. Politics is someone lying or potentially lying to get you on their side. Mm. So when you say you tie it into scripture, church, or all that, then it, for me, it I don't see it connected. Well, with that de with that definition, but I don't think that the majority of people are defining politics. As inherently, well, we can't deceitful. we can't go with what they define it for. We have to go with actually what it is. Well, but but if that's the are case, you speaking, are you speaking of that from definition, or are you speaking of that from like that's that's but that's like here's why that can't be true, right? In my mind, the reason you can't say politics is just 
deceitful. Now, American governmental politics may be deceitful, but politics exist everywhere. Politics exist in my household, right? Like, there's politics between me and my wife and our children. But the politics is based off what? The what politics you, is literally think is right how wrong, we, right? yeah, politics, what we believe. Here, here's what politics is, because I had to, of course, bring <laughs> Merriam-Webster. You really got Webster. Yeah, like we, we got Merriam-Webster. Uh, and here's here's why politics... Is Merriam-Webster a dude or a girl? I have no idea. I believe it's a couple Marianne. people. Could be a man. It's the last name, actually. <laughs> Merriam-Webster. And politics is simply defined as the activities associated with the governance of a country or other area, especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. That's one definition. Why in the game somebody on your side? That's a very brass tax. That's, that's a very layman's way of going that's, about it. So, I mean Or it's hard like you can say there is situations where you will be political based upon what you believe. So But I, to tie it and say it is political, it's hard here, for me to kinda of like go in my okay. It's here's what I mean. In my household, for example, me and my wife may have a conversation about what we think is right in the rearing of our children, right? What I'm saying is that's a political conversation in the sense that the relationship me and my wife share, she's an individual, I'm an individual. I have a right to raise my children how I see fit. She has a right to raise her children how she, how she sees fit. There's a political nature involved it's, it's about in governance. finding the compromise. It's about governance. Well, that's all yeah. politics is. There's a, right. there's a difference in your situation. You're married, so there is no my political and her political. What I'm saying is that the relationship has a political nature. I, and again, I think that while this argument is... is yeah, we'll go all day. Yeah, we'll yeah, go all day yeah, yeah. about something like that. <laughs> Welcome to the sheet team. This, comes, this is still a conversation regarding the validity of should politics... Not in our opinions context, mm-hmm. but in the definition of what it is. Yeah. That being the governance of this country versus our fundamental theological beliefs. Yeah. It are can those two things be melded together? My personal opinion, no. Okay. Because if you're asking us to meld both our theology and our democratic state or what have you, we, you're asking us to become a theocracy, which is unfair to the many different practicing religions here in the country um and i and this is why things like roe v wade have never been overturned uh, yeah in regards to so the the conservative republican i'm not ever saying that though i'm not ever saying well my point wasn't to say that the government should adhere to my theology solely now there's a conversation to be had there you know from a theological standpoint but that wasn't what I was saying about this conversation. What I was saying is that pastors specifically cannot avoid making comments that affect people's political opinions. You cannot rightly preach the scriptures and avoid saying things that are going to affect what a person thinks in a way that will cause them to make decisions about their politics. You can't avoid that because the minute you tell them that some social issue is this in the Bible or that in the Bible, you've given them input and influenced how they're going to see it. People vote on issues. 
those issues have answers in the Bible. A pastor preaching is going to preach those answers to those people. They're going to take those answers that they get or scratch the pastor if they study their own Bible. They're going to take those answers that they get out of their theology and apply them to the issues that they vote on. That's what I'm saying about not being able to separate the politics from the theology. A person, example, if you as a Christian even conclude that the Bible has said enough for you to say, I shouldn't vote at all. It has affected your politics because you've chosen not to vote. You see what I'm saying? Like, if you've chosen not to vote based on what you read in the Bible, it influenced your politics. If you've chosen to vote for the pro-life candidate based on what you read in the Bible, it influenced your politics. So you're My theology politics to a characteristic. Well, you can't separate them because people vote on issues. That's what I'm saying. People vote on who, what they think. You think this guy is going to do the thing that you think is right. So when I make a decision that's casting a ballot, that's casting lots, that's me voting. Every if you, decision I if make. You, if you, well, yeah, well, voting is, is just you saying, like, I cast a lot toward this thing. So, yeah. But but my, my point is that if you say, for example, me, right, I'm like a pro-black Right, guy. But I can go into the scriptures and the reasons I believe the things I believe is because of what I see in the scriptures. I believe that oppression and tyranny from a government should be resisted based on what I see in the scriptures. Right? So that means it's affecting my politics. Because then I see this guy in office and I go, oh, he's a tyrant. He has tyrannical ways about him and he's an oppressor and his system is oppressive. But you also see to obey your government and... And, and we can have that. And so I'm, I'm perfectly prepared to have that conversation. That's, that's I'm prepared to have that conversation. If that government is doing the things that God has commanded it say them, that, though? Yeah, it does. It says if I'm prepared to go to Romans 13 and the government was given, pull them, if you pull them, all right, I'm glad we're doing this. <laughs> Finish your statement. I'll, I'll do a research. Yeah, so Romans 13, the way that I read that, and I'm saying that intentionally so somebody can be like, it's not supposed to be the way you read it. It's supposed to be the way that it is read. Romans 13, New American Standard Bible reads, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Mm-hmm. For there is no authority except from God. Those which exist are established by God. That's right. Therefore, so Donald Trump was put there by God, right? I believe that. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Mm-hmm. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God, uh, minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscious sake. Yeah. And that's Romans, the 13th chapter, beginning at the first verse and reading down through the fifth verse. I like that. The word of God. Thank you, Pastor. For the people. I I need the scripture where it tells you to, to resist. You're saying that there's scripture saying resist. Right. So, so you were, but you, okay, so just so I'm clear, you were talking about Romans 13 just a minute ago, right? All right, so that scripture says that. Now, let me ask a question. Is it your opinion that Jewish people in the Holocaust 
should have submitted themselves to Hitler and his authority. I, we're, we're going. I can't. I can't answer an if question. We're going off with the scripture. This is real life. I'm talking about real we're, life. Okay, but we're application. The Bible supposedly is real life, mm-hmm. so you're supposed to follow it. Right. So if that's the case, then you're supposed to then, walk then, into the gas chamber. But your point. Okay. So that's telling, your point. You believe that Jews should should have followed that command because that command was coming from God. Because based on that interpretation, based on that interpretation, that means that Hitler was a man of God, a servant of God, doing godly things, leading those people to to be to be killed. But that's that, what the Bible says. No, it's I don't think that's what it's saying. State. I just don't think that's what you it's saying. You can't change. The, okay, well, you're saying what you think is saying. Right. If that's why go, I said what I said. If we they go, go off of... Everybody's saying what they think it's saying. That's just how interpretation works. So, so when you read something, you interpret it. Everybody does. When you read a word, you interpret what you think it means based on the context of where it's being said. If you read in a book a sentence based on the context of the book, you're going to interpret what the meaning of the sentence is. What I'm saying is that the way that I interpret that sentence is not the same way you are. I don't believe that I'm the Bible is telling you. I'm reading it for what it says. And I am too. I can't interpret it if it tells me you should obey your government. Okay. So I can't interpret that. It's telling me what to do. Okay. It's, it's so wonderful to be able to sit back and watch <laughs> brothers fight. So Lance is over here getting his beige rage on. And <laughs> yo, 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 chocolate. Uh, I don't know. Pause. Um. So, so here's what I'm saying. Here's what I think is being said. Is Paul's now a thing on the church in the wild podcast? I mean, pause is always a thing with me personally. Like, I have to pause certain things for myself. Listen, I'm still, you know, I grew up in the age of what is now called toxic masculinity. You know, so I got to, you know, my, I got to okay pause if I bring it. back hands then? Can I bring back Low hands? Low-key, I never got rid of hands. Okay. Like, I still play hands right now. People just don't be wanting to participate. Yeah, oh. nah, like, you know, somebody say something dumb and you slap their hand. Oh, but call hands no options. Yeah, so. Uh, we got Lance is like 16 years older than us. Man, chill out. Uh, pause. Uh, Snatch up somebody's mom. No, oh, pause. <laughs> um, so, so check this out. So this is what I'm saying. I believe that the Bible is telling us to submit to authorities that are of God. I think when the authority stops being of God, they lose their authority. I don't think that they have authority just because they say they have authority. That's what I'm. That's but what I'm saying. It doesn't say that. It doesn't sure. give us a. Okay. So let's let's walk through. Let's walk through it verse by verse. All right. Nope. We're not going to do that right now. All right. <laughs> so here's, here's here's how I can I can kind of meld the two of these together. Um, in this in this particular context, think of it as a marriage. Uh, we tell anybody who's ever had to perform a wedding or. Uh, done any type of premarital counseling has had to go through the uh, the text where it says that a wife should uh, obey her husband and she's she's supposed to follow her husband's lead. But the Bible also then doubles down and says, well, if this man is not uh, producing in the fashion that he's supposed to, if he's not walking in the way that he should and following Christ, then that woman does not have to obey. But it also is a part in the Bible that says a woman will win her husband over. This is true. By continuing to go. Continuing to go, but does not mandate her to stay. In the same sense, the resistance of the the resistance of an opposing force is absolutely encouraged within the Bible, which I agree with. However, this is going to end up being a much longer conversation about something that is completely off topic. If you would like to hear us talk about this chapter, because I'm so prepared to go down this road. <laughs> You need to leave comments 
somewhere on the social media or in the SoundCloud thread letting us know that you want to hear the full walkthrough of Romans 13 and why it is not saying that you have to obey everything that the government tells you because the government calling itself the government does not inherently grant it authority. Authority is granted from God. It does not mean that because I stand up and say I'm in charge that I have authority. Then we'd have to ask the question of what government was the Bible talking about. Right. Context. It's talking about and, and mm, that. Context. That, ladies and gentlemen, mm. next time. This is why, <laughs> this I'm is why we're called. I'm prepared to have that conversation. This is why we're called the sheet <laughs> team. The In the context of what we've been discussing, my issue with and continuous beef with the communication of whether or not politics is an acceptable thing to discuss in the pulpit, I think we need to narrow that particular as far as how we've been discussing it. It needs to become a little bit more narrow. Are we saying that the church should not participate in the endorsement of candidates and in the endorsement of candidates solely? Or are we saying that they should not discuss any type of politics. I'm, I'm in agreeing of the same. I'm I'm of the ilk that we should not be endorsing candidates. I, however, do believe that we should speak out against injustices and we should speak out against oppression and we should speak out against the things that we absolutely see in society today that are affecting our people. Uh, unfair, uh, uh, I mean, unequal jailing, the school to prison pipeline. These are things that affect our congregants on a regular basis. Uh, when we talk about the policing, community policing, when we talk about building new jails and, and, and underfunding schools, these are things that are governmental uh, po and, and political conversations to have. And those should be things that we should be able to discuss in the church. Because at the end of the day, when we say we, we scream this now, but in the black community, the church was the hub for all things social and political. Yeah. In civil rights time and before, this we all gathered together in the church. And this is what we discussed. When we did come together and endorse candidates, where did we do it? We didn't do it in our garages, in our driveways, in our living rooms. We came together with our fellow believers. We came to the church house and we said, "This, these are the people. We were an informed people and we chose our candidates and who we voted for on those merits and reasons, not just because, hey, they read the Bible. I think so many people now are, are lost in the as you would say, the lie of, of politicians. Donald Trump quoted a Bible scripture. I'm pretty sure Donald Trump has never read the Bible. But Definitely. He quoted. But he might have read 2 Corinthians. We don't know. We'll never know. 2 Corinthians. You guys like that one, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he. that was the first time he was ever introduced to, to 2 Corinthians. Anything... I'm pretty sure they had to coach him in how to say Corinthians. Yeah. But. Yeah. But despite all of that, I think that, the again, the argument and the argument as a whole, not just the one that we're having here in this very hot room, but the one that we have, you know, nationally and in our, uh, at our water coolers and on our social media pages is one of, is it, is it is the pulpit a valid place to discuss politics? Yes, it is. I, there's no question about that. I think the the only place, the only thing that that should be said in the pulpit about politics is do your homework, because at the end of the day, every person is 
accountable for what decisions they make. Agreed. So in, in that case, I think it should stop right there. Because when you begin to influence... But again, we have to understand... You, what, you, what you particularly feel. Like, you might feel like this... You feel like Hillary Clinton was cool for such and such and such, but not see the other part of the the ugly part of it. Absolutely. So it's like, or you might, you know, it's but that whatever. gets into that again gets into the broader context of when we're talking about politics. Again, I'm a, I'm completely against endorsing, and I think that's where the church should stand. Should the church be endorsing candidates? No. Absolutely not. I think we're all in agreement with that, right? I agree. So in a, in the in the most narrow of senses. When we say politics and mean endorsements, no, we shouldn't be endorsing anyone. What someone chooses to do outside of the pulpit, it's completely and totally now, up to them. What I mean by endorsing, that means you're not having them come stand up at the pulpit during yeah. election time. Absolutely. That's a no-no. Absolutely. And the only that's time endorsing. That you, and that's absolutely I endorsing. I don't care if they go to your church. That's endorsing. That's absolutely yeah. true. That is absolutely true. Um, but what I also believe is that we have to we have to widen widen that particular conversation a little bit while we're not endorsing if the president is on the verge of nuclear war with a nation mm. or if the or if, lo, or if congress is about to bankrupt the nation those are things that should absolutely be discussed in the ch- in the church because these are things that are going to affect the people we are we are messengers not just of good news and hope but we have to teach people how to navigate with a christian worldview and a christian mind and a christian Let me perspective but you got to consider that that news might come on monday you're that's not going to go back to church till sunday or wednesday that's true so if they know on monday that they should be paying attention to these things absolutely true it's not a oh my god it's too late yeah, and 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 I'm, I'm agree. I agree with you in the fact that we should absolutely be encouraging, just like we should be encouraging, not just political sound mind, but actual schooling, financial well being, uh, sex education, a, a litany of things that the church should be discussing that we're just now in 2018 finally starting to take the training wheels off of and discuss openly with people. And I think that's going to be a great conversation when we have it. Yeah. That being the church in the wild becoming a wild church. Um, that the churches that have that that throw off the 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 shackles and the hindrances of what is politically correct to discuss now, uh, as far as your your Sunday morning sermon is concerned. I mean, I, well, did, I didn't understand you know the the political correctness to talk about anything when in the Bible it talks about boiling a baby. So it's just like, but that takes someone who reads the Bible when you're talking about a people who primarily have gotten their information from whatever it is that they hear. If you don't preach about boiling babies, then you'll never hear about that particular text. Agreed. And, and, and yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I have a question, <laughs> you know, moving on from boiling is babies. Is that a bomb? Is that a bomb? Yeah, yeah, listen, listen. Uh, and it's in the Bible for anyone start oh, they they making stuff up. That Bible doesn't talk about boiling um, babies. It does. I would like to talk about and eating babies. Other things now. So <laughs> so, um, so I have a question. Go for it. We can't endorse watch my segue, watch my segue game. We can't endorse politicians in the pulpit, but what about endorsing other churches? What about endorsing pastors? Like that, so like you I'm mean pastors, struggling. as far as being in 
political positions? No, I just mean as being pastors, as lifting up and endorsing and saying, I approve this message, that pastor is great, that church is great. Are we allowed to do that? I guess the question threw me when the... Yeah, y'all don't have I stumped you. Me, now. You know, because <laughs> you're asking an entity to be involved with an entity that should be involved with an entity to begin with. I'm just asking, is it okay for one pastor to say <laughs> another pastor is, oh, a, yeah. is a good pastor? I mean, yes. That's fine. That's Can I endorse that, a pastor? That was, you can endorse it. Yes. I mean, Great. So I want to take this time to. Uh, <laughs> oh, he, I would like to take this time. I just realized what he was doing. To segue yeah. over to talk about something that I think is actually really good, really positive, happening here in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, Eastern Star Church launched something called the Rock Initiative, uh, and this week they accomplished something that I think is notable. That's not being done by our politicians. That's not being done by the guy who calls himself the president of the United States. That's not being done by um, a lot of people who call themselves the people that should be doing it. So Eastern Star Church this week opened up um, an apartment complex. Not just an apartment complex. And a grocery store. A community. And yeah, basically a, a, a community that um, they built with money that came through the church and that was funded by the church and it's it's in the middle of what's considered one of the worst neighborhoods in town and um they've been doing work over there building houses and putting families in those houses teaching financial uh literacy and and helping people to build up um their understanding of money and so that they've been doing a lot of good work over there i think that what they're doing is really good i wanted to take time to just shout them out and just say you know to keep doing what you're doing because uh, they're a big church, and the pastor over there gets a lot of grief from people who just don't like big churches. And once in a while, when somebody does something good, I think it's good to say they did something good, so people understand like it's not just, um, you know, like I literally like I've been to Eastern Star more times than I can count on two hands, right? And isn't that your new church home? Um, I never call myself a member pretty much anywhere, but. Uh, that is the church that I that I attend for the most part um, right now. The the things I've heard about the pastor don't line up with the things I've seen, and so for me that means I need to take a moment to just say. I know people say a lot of bad things about this guy. He's a man. He's not perfect. I'm sure he has flaws. But when somebody does does something good, you just ought to say that they did something good, you know. And that's just me. So I just wanted to shout them out. The Rock Initiative, I think, is a great, great work they're doing over there. Um, Don't take our, our silence as uh, a disagreement with John. I absolutely. I've just give me a, time to do my endorsement. Yeah, I've been an absolute. Uh, I'm, I mean, I can never mind. No, speak up, brother. Speak I've freely. Been, I've been an absolute. This is a free thinking room. Uh, fan of, and I say fan loosely. Um, Somebody in the conscious community is going to definitely get me for saying that this is a free thinking room. Uh, I've been, a, I've been, a, I've been. I won't. I don't like saying fan, but I, I don't know him personally, uh, of, of Pastor Johnson for uh, a while. He is one of the best preachers 
Uh, and I mean that from a from a professional standpoint. Uh, he's been one of the best preachers I've ever encountered. Uh, he is a very solid uh, teacher. Uh, what he's done in the community uh, has not been something that has been overnight. Uh, he has grown his congregation uh, by leaps and bounds, and he's done that through sound teaching, not just in give me money, give me money, give me money. Uh, they believe in empowering their members, and it shows when you speak to members that are members of, uh, of their church. Uh, they speak very highly of the church. They speak very highly of the leadership, and that I think that goes to show uh, that particular gentleman and his and what he's done over the last 30 years um, in the city of Indianapolis. There, of course, are going to be people who have a little more insight. You may disagree with me. That's because you have more insight. There are people who don't like me right now and people who love me. It doesn't make me any never mind because I'm pretty sure that when he wakes up in the morning, Pastor Johnson is not wor worried about whether or not I like him or not. Uh, but what he does do is he gets up and he continues to work for his community and work for his congregation. So, yes, John, I'm absolutely okay with the endorsement. And I'm, I, I'm very proud to say that I'm from Indianapolis because of the Rock Initiative and what they're doing over in the 30th Street area. Oh, now you want to be quiet. Hey, you want to bite, you bite your tongue on this one. Hey, I mean, I I heard about it. I think it's a great thing. It's, I will, Shouldn't I more will, churches be doing what he's doing? I think that's a, it's the, a perfect okay, thing to since you about. Since you opened that up. Absolutely. My my thought was, why did it take this long? Mm. Why did why has it taken why has it taken it so long for the church or churches? You know. Brothers to never be happy. <laughs> take over their said communities. I love your question. Um, so that was my my mm. thought when I heard the heard it, and then mm -hmm. then Are my you, other thought was, okay, well, why didn't that happen before the other the church? But then we're not gonna have that conversation because we're talking about something good and this man endorsing a great thing that's happening in our city. So. I'm I don't want to be that guy, so I'm but not going to be that guy. It's too late. You're the Lance, we, we, um, Lance, but I do already, think I do you're already light skinned, I do green think eyes, that, so you're uh, already that guy, sir. I, I do think that their beard game on point. That pause. Um, See, that's why you shouldn't even say it. Yeah. So no, know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll I just, venture down. I have that, I have a lot of issues. I'll venture down that path with you though, I because have, I'm in absolute agreement. And with the, you. the reason why I have a lot of issue with with it be because. I've been in the back room. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like... Me too. It's like, okay, we could be doing so much. We could become... But that's not the mentality. The mentality is a pod-type mentality. Absolutely. Sure. This is my pod. This yep. is my pod. Absolutely. And then, yep. you know, those within the pod are like, well, my pod is... if you, And it's like, Brother. it becomes a whole thing of, okay... We don't else. need them to segregate us or divide us. We're already divided. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and that's valid. So it struggles. So it's like, here's what I when what some I want good to ask. is done, it always comes with a tinge of yeah. It's yeah, like, but why aren't sure, we? Why haven't we been doing this? Cool. We, we got all these like. There's a lot of big churches in the city. Yeah, in in space, not necessarily in membership. Hey, well, you got a bit. You paying for something? Yeah. Sure. So some of his legacy, and money. even and even with that, it's okay. Well, why why are we gonna go build this big building instead of going to couple with such and such? Watch this. These are the things I struggle Watch with. Watch this. 
One these of are the things I struggle with. You Even on your, like, you, I've always had an issue with your street. I'm, 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 I'm here now, I'm going to tell you. I've always had an issue with your street. There's literally like 12 churches. Like, there's literally 15 to 20 churches okay. from 16th Street to I'm going to go ahead and say 34th. it now. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. Um, and I've always been like, well, man. If they all came together, I mean, even with, like, I can think about it even on, on a, some old, I'm a pastor, like, trying to get money type thing. Like, if we all came together, like, I mean, should be the But even with, even on the bad side of thinking about it. It still does something in the community. Yes. And then it's like, okay, well, what can we, like, what could be service with the conglomerate of all of this? Yeah. So let me, so let me respond to that a little bit. So one, I, w- I want to say this. You're preaching to the choir. One of my You're biggest, to the choir. yeah. One of my biggest complaints about Eastern Star Church, right? And I'll say this openly. I always was like, man, how can we be building? This is just my own from my own theological standpoint. How can we build five million dollar edifices and use them twice a week? I, that's always been a massive complaint of mine, right? At the same time, I feel the Lord is turning the heat up in this place. <laughs> At the same time, I always want to give credit where credit is due because Demi Lovato overdosed on heroin recently. It would be really easy for me to criticize her for overdosing on heroin and overlook how long she was sober. What I'm saying is, you have to you have to find a way to have that passion, and not you specifically, but a person, like in terms of having <laughs> having that passion and then saying also, but I'm glad they did this much because you know what? Why did it take this long? Sure, but they got it done. Like so so you have to you have to be able to see the good and the bad. Like you I mean you, but if uh, you miss the good for the bad this is why I don't want to get into the I'm, conversation. It's a great conversation. I'm a very, I think it's a I'm great very, conversation. Because I, the conversation then becomes... Because it's your... For it, me. Will you only me. be satisfied with perfection? No. Can, can I address something really quick? Because I, I think this will... This will it's not the... Go ahead. Go ahead. Here, here's, my, here's my take. Um, anybody who knows me um, knows that I have over the past... Since I, since I got into the ministry, which was in 2000 and t- March of 2010. So eight years in. Um, I preached and I've, I've spoken to the very thing that you've spoken about. Uh, it hits me very deeply because I do see it every time I come to church. Um, when I, when I come to my church, I used to live in this neighborhood and I walk past five churches to get to mine. Um, at one point I would walk from Ralston, depending on which way I walked, either down 24th, uh, down 25th street or down 24th Street, I could walk past any number of large to small churches, but a total of five in three city blocks, three, maybe four city blocks. And I, and I, and I always said to myself, like, man, why are there so many churches in such a small area and they're not brother and sister churches? This is one of the poorest communities in the city. And there are, at last count, in a, I believe, a five-mile radius that is known as the Martindale-Brightwood area, maybe a three-mile three radius, but there are over 200 churches. 
in this poverty-stricken, food desert near, near food desert type of uh, community. And anybody who has a heart and and trust and, and loves Jesus and, and believes in what the and what the gospel is supposed to be should be offended by the fact that there are so many churches and so little being done. So I agree well, with you. Well, the question then becomes, well, why aren't there? Well, that then deals with exactly what you were leaning towards, and nobody really wants to say. That deals with the ego of pastors and why they got into the profession in the first place. There are pastors in this community that pastor micro churches, churches of 25 people or less that are paying to be pastors. They're not receiving an income from the church. They're actually paying money out in order to call themselves a pastor. And I think that's the biggest issue of uh, in, in ministry, that people would much rather have a title then accept the fact that maybe this isn't my call. God, God, the Holy Spirit, I mean, that this wasn't the blessing that God said it was that, that I thought I heard God say, and maybe I need to do something else. I proposed uh, four or five years ago, and little old me, I'm not a pastor, uh, still freshly uh, a minister even, even still. And I proposed to my pastor who agreed um, to pen a letter that I then sent out to about 150 pastors in the city, not just in this community, 150 pastors in the city to to purchase the uh, St. Peter Claver Center, a.k.a. the Omega Center on Sutherland to renovate it, which would have cost between one to two and a half million dollars. That's at the extreme end. One to two and a half million dollars to renovate to then put it as a line item on their year on their annual budgets to sell what they could, but at max three thousand uh, uh, to to, to so three percent of their annual budget per year to keep it running. I don't want to run it. I don't want to be CEO of it. All I wanted to do was see churches come together and do it. I sent it to a hundred and fifty pastors. My pastor. And I'm not saying this to hype him up. I'm not saying this because he's a because I think he was he was trying to be a standout type of guy. He was the only one who responded, and he responded absolutely. This is something that I'm on board on, and we should do. Radio silence from 149 pastors in the city. Now, why? Maybe they don't know who I am. Maybe they don't trust the vision. Maybe they don't want to give the money up. Any number of reasons. But the fact that we can. You can't have five churches in a community come together and do a single book bag drive, but each individual church does a book bag drive of their own for the exact same community is asinine. It's insanity, to be honest with you. And, yeah. that, and that was, was it's more of a thought-provoking uh, thing to think about. There's 200 churches, and this is the, the most poverty-stricken area in the city. And what you just explaining that every book drive is from the each church. Exactly. So instead of coming together, my question becomes: Is it the city's fault that this of course neighborhood not. is poverty stricken? Of course not. So then we have to kind of we're, we're looking at each other. Well, absolutely. So this is where it gets kind of convoluted. We're though, looking right? at it. No, we're looking at each other now. We can't look at anybody else. Yeah, but it's kind of convoluted right here, and I'm gonna tell you why. This assumes that the church is responsible for for the the median income level of a neighborhood. It's not. 
I don't. It also assumes that that every church has the same the same mission in mind. It also assumes there should that be the same mission. Body, hold on. It also assumes each body believes the same things. You have to you have to even consider that there are differences of theological preferences and beliefs that keep churches separate. But there are. You, go ahead. But when you push the mindset that tithing pays for the church. Well, Two hundred churches believe in that. Let me not drop that bomb yet. But the, I mean, it, it is what is pushed. Yeah. Tithing pays for the church. Yeah. So if there's two hundred churches in this community. Sure. That's two hundred pastors saying to a small community. Two four six two one eight is not that big. Yeah. And this is actually two hundred five where we sit. So two hundred five and two hundred eight. Two hundred five. It's not. It's not that big if you think about yeah. it. Yeah. So we have that much being pulled from this community. Mm-hmm. And then you go, where's the money going? Rebuilding the community. Absolutely. You go, where's the money going? <coughs> and, and, and and I get it. All I'm saying is, because I'm with you. I'm not even like, I like just we're on the same it. page with that. No, what I'm we saying, all struggle with it. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is also like just balance in how you think about it. Because churches exist. People choose to go to churches. People go to churches for various whatever reasons, but they choose to go there. Churches, in terms of givers, you being behind the scenes, you being behind the scenes, I've been behind the scenes, we know that that the number of givers is never equal to the number of parishioners. Correct. We know that there are a few people, especially in, in the average church in a neighborhood like this, there are there is a group of people that are giving disproportionately. Yeah. To the number of people that attend the church, I know a pastor. I mean, I, but I, I know a pastor right now who pastors a let's call it a medium-sized church that has given his check, not a portion of his check, back every week. Yeah, and it's if he didn't do that, they would barely crack a thousand dollars a week. Yeah. Yeah, so that being a real thing, people see churches, like this church has been up, this building has been up for how long? 73 years. 73 years the building's been up. But somebody would drive by and the conversations that happen are, they can afford to build that church. Well, it's not, I guess for me it's not the the seeing or saying that they can build the church. It is is the, the seeing that there was a church built instead of... What your argument is for larger churches, particularly like Eastern Star. Yep. Um, Eastern Star has four campuses. Uh, the main campus, Fishers, Cooper, and... It's just those three. No, it's just those three. I'm sorry. So three campuses. But they've also launched three... They've launched other ministries. They've launched other ministries. Yeah. Um, and sent people out with yeah. them, which is absolutely a, a gospel... A gospel mandate to, to send them out. A great job planning. Yeah, they, they do a great job planning. Um, but I absolutely agree. And to your and to your point as well, did they need a five million dollar campus? No. But here's what they also didn't do: they didn't take a loan out. This was money that they had packed up. To to and and that then goes into what you're saying. Why did it take so long? Here's we 
then double back a little bit into what we were talking about. It's politics in order to buy an apartment complex or to buy the land That's in true. order to do something like that. Zoning to, issues. You know, zoning issues. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes butt-kissing that has to go on in order to get the favor from whoever is sitting in that the, chair Yeah. To, sure. in order to say, hey, this is what we want to do. Because if it was that easy, I know a nice piece of land where I want to go build a house right now. Yeah. But if I go do that, then somebody's going to come, hey, uh, excuse me, this doesn't belong to you. Yeah. Uh, you haven't gone through the proper steps to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, land, as plenteous as it is, sadly doesn't belong to the people. So there are a number of things that have to go through the process. But I agree with you. We, we've gone through makeovers in churches, new edifices going up, and the same people are coming in, giving and giving and giving. And the question then becomes, well, when do we start giving back? And the church absolutely should be at a position where they're giving out scholarships to, to students. They should be uh, feeding their communities, uh, both spiritually and and physically. So where there's a where where we sit right now uh, is a near food desert. The closest grocery store uh, to us is barely in walking distance, and that's if you're in good shape. Because where we sit, it's about a mile down the road. And I don't know people who like walking a mile, mile and a half, uh, if you're lucky, mm -hmm. to, to get to a grocery store, Safeway on 25th and Sherman. Um, and so where where you have that, or you can try walking. The, the mile plus to go to uh, Kroger on 16th and Central. Uh, all of that to say that we we stay in a virtual food desert. Now, where where, where we also find ourselves as far as the poverty mines, as, as far as it's being one of the poorest neighborhoods, you have to look at the demographic and the age. The age in this neighborhood isn't a young one. The age is somewhere, I believe, in the mid forties to early, the early, the mid to uh, mid forties to fifties. Um, so you're looking at people who are nearing the latter half of their lives, and so they are, you know, limited budgets, maybe retired, things like that, and they don't have younger bodies here coming in to that want to come in and do this. This is the the next prime area. For gentrification, to be honest with you, because what what we'll see happening is where we have these dilapidated homes that are falling apart. We'll start seeing people come in buying these houses, two thousand, three thousand, ten thousand dollars. They'll tear them down and wait. And 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 with that also, because I, I would be curious. One, I would be curious from anybody who's even listening. Um, what is what do you believe the church's responsibility is? to their finances how should they be divvying up their finances um and how do you propose that we go about implementing such a thing and that, that's a, a serious question i have for people because i i have criticisms but i also i also have ideas about what i think the church should be doing that theologically are on the extreme from what modern day church looks like right and so Modern day church is done a certain way that for me, I would say, well, you got to tear the whole thing down. You know what I'm saying? Um, throw the whole institution away. With that said, that's a, a big ask for such a such a. I thought you were adding an S and not a K to that, by the way. Sorry. No, that's a big ask for um, such a large, large uh, entity. To, to to say, hey, you got to restructure the entire thing. It's the same as, as 
me telling people you can't fix white supremacy you can't fix the oppression of the u.s government it's hardwired into the structure the only way you get rid of it is you have to throw the whole institution away do you believe that the church needs to be thrown away and restarted no i don't think the church has to be thrown away um for a later conversation i'll say this much i think that the way that church is done has to be thrown away uh to do it the way that i think that many people at this point in time want to see it done because they're looking in the scriptures and they're going i see a certain thing here that i don't see expressed in the outward expression of the church in order to get to that place, you would have to dismantle the entire institution. There's two institutions that you see in the, in, in the Bible, and I've, I've talked about this with my pastor and with other people who care to engage in this conversation with me. Um, and here's, there is no, there is no method or, or, or blueprint for what modern church looks like, not for what a modern worship service looks like or anything of the sort. But when you also look in the Bible, you have to understand that there are two institutions that are spoken about. There's the temple and there's the synagogue. Those are two completely different institutions, and they hold two different purposes. The question is, what is the modern church? It is, is it the temple or is it the synagogue? Mm -hmm. If it's the temple, then we have to treat it a completely different way than what we've been treating it. And if it's the synagogue, we only need to slightly adjust what we've been doing. And well, if it's neither... And what a lot of people, what a lot of churches have been operating as is a hybrid of both. Yeah. So what we then take is aspects of the temple, and we apply them to... Uh, we apply them to the modern church, and then we also have uh, things like you know daycares and food pantries and educational opportunities that we offer up. But there are certain places that you just can't go uh, when you're in the church. With that, with that being said, I, I I can't see where you need. I can't. I could. I don't think I can agree with trying to do church a different way. I think that what needs to happen is something that will honestly never happen. I think in order for the Christian church to operate at its most optimum, it needs, everyone needs to get back on the same page. And I don't think that's possible. I think there's too much ego in Christianity these days. This is good. This is good, brother. So um, I think we're going to get to the other parts. Yeah, I know we may have to wrap, but, but this is what I will say. Um, consider what church, air quotes, uh, and worship looks like in countries where Christianity is not the state religion or in countries where Christianity is even outlawed. Consider what it looks like to be a Christian there and I think you'll have a truer depiction of what God intended the church to be under those circumstances than under these circumstances where Western church enjoys a lot of uh, privilege because it has existed as the religion of the state for such a long time that it's grown to mimic the state. I agree. I, I think in... in in Western context, Western meaning white in this in, in many cases, when white when Puritans came from Europe to the states and established church in their manner, they took elements of secular business and they took elements of what they 
liked and disliked about the church that they worshiped at in another country. And they said, let's meld the two of these together. Nobody ever has an issue when business and church mix, unless business is bad. And then it's, the and then, you know, then, then you start dealing with money <laughs> you issues. You mess up the church's money. Yeah. Uh, you, you, that's when you run into issues. But we only have a problem when the church, when we start talking about politics uh, with the church, because politics, again, then influences uh, governance. Uh, that's when you see things like Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned. That's when you see things uh, being going more in a theocratic in a theocratic vein than we have seen in the past. And I don't think America wants to be a theocratic nation. I also well, don't definitely think, not in 2018. They don't. But I honestly don't believe that the church wants to be theocratic in many ways either. Well, yeah, it's, I, I think that the church would much. The church establishes itself. Uh, based on the personality of whoever leads it. So whatever that person then is, be it a Joel Osteen, uh, a Matthew Stevenson, a T.D. Jakes, a John Gray, uh, a, a Furtick, a Stephen Furtick, or who, whomever the person may be. Stephen Furtick. <laughs> John, sorry. <laughs> but with, with again, people and parishioners are almost, and I hate to even say it this way, I don't think that they're being brainwashed at this point anymore. I think we've just been so used to seeing a particular personality being a way that that's what we now associate with. Churches grow and die based on the personality of the pastor. So if your pastor is very charismatic, if your pastor is very handsome or beautiful, if it's a female, and they can carry a, a at least harmonize with an organ. Uh, nine times out of ten, they'll be a fairly successful church, and people will love them. But the moment that figurehead goes away, the the church then begins to die. When the church itself should be established on the at least the core thing of let us come to this place to worship Christ, and and that become and that's that feeds back into what I was talking about. We don't see communion between brother between churches anymore it's just, uh, we don't call each other sister churches anymore somebody uh, is going to rebuke us for calling because of the way we're using the word church I'm, I know it's coming I, I mean yeah I'm going to leave it alone <laughs> look Lance was just I about was, I mean, to take the mantle up and rebuke uh, us for the way I we're think, using the word church. A, there's, okay, we bastardized a lot of words that I just have, have an issue with. Like you hear this? We like bastardized the like word church. church. Like, because we... <clears throat> because we, we call these buildings, We call these buildings... Churches. Churches, and edifices, should. churches. And you brought up two points. There's a synagogue and a temple, and the, it tells you that your body is a temple. So that eliminates one of those things. Right? If you... If you if you make a correlation there, yeah, if that's that's if you choose to interpret okay. it that way. So you because like, if I you, know you like the word interpret. because then if you take the if you <laughs> if you take where you're going with and say that your body's a temple, then the way that we treat our temples absolutely means that there's because the temple is holy. Yeah, and if the temple's holy, and we don't treat ourselves as holy. I'm not saying that we that that that's wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I fail. I mean, if that's no, if that's no. what we're it's see this is my thing like. I'm going to hold it way up here, but I'm going to know that I'm not there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. But that don't mean that I'm not going to hold it up here. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I agree. Okay, back to what we were saying. Like, yeah. if it's my temple, then 
I have to. Alright, so you're saying we have to treat, but should we treat but the these buildings would as be us, us meeting up to... That's where the whole no. community is missing. That's so you the say... Whole, they didn't went to the synagogue. They went to the builder. So you're saying treat the... the we, they didn't go and say, let's have a community temple. meeting. They said, we're going to build another church because this one is not doing... Well, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. So my body or is the temple. Another building, yes. My body is the temple, but the building the is church. the synagogue. You're, you are the church. Obviously, right. And we would agree there. But you're the, saying the, the building is the synagogue. That's where they met at. They okay. didn't meet I just at, want to make sure I understand what you were saying. I mean, you can meet yourself. Now, do you think that we should treat... Some places. Do you think we should treat <laughs> the building like a Not synagogue? So treat the building like a synagogue and treat my body like a temple. But I like that idea. Now, But that also requires you to treat your neighbor as a temple. And you should. Should is the operative word. No, you're. We're preaching up. Your body is a temple. I don't. It doesn't say you. Well, your body is a temple too. That's to me though. Oh, so your body is only a temple to you. That's yeah. That's to so me. So I don't got to treat your body like a temple. But it's, but the Bible t- calls us as believers to treat our neighbors at, to love as our ourselves. neighbors as we love ourselves. So if I treat myself as a temple and I hold myself holy. That means I then have to treat exactly. you. So I got to treat you as a temple too. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, what you said. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you tried to go around it. No, I I was going to say you're supposed to treat me like you treat yourself. As a temple. You're not supposed to treat me as a temple. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. Because I say that because... Like, don't hold you up as... Exactly. That's why I had to make the clarification. I got you. Yeah, no, and I I completely get that. But, But in the general sense, I should respect that your body is a temple the same way I respect that my body is a temple. For sure. I... I'm sure that somebody listening to this just got massive revelation because in this room, these three great theological minds just unveiled something amazing for you. I don't know. But, but, make no mistake, I'm it's failing, just three I'm men I'm failing one of my theology classes right now. So, nah. Um, well. But nah. I, this, has been a, this has been a wonderful conversation. I thought we were going to get to this uh I'm glad we didn't get to this relationship thing. I think we can part, uh, put that together with something else uh, and, and have someone come in. The dating. Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, we can talk about that oh, another yeah. time. We have, I've oh, had yeah. a fantastic time uh, with my brothers breaking bread and fellowshipping uh, with one another. There, Lance, there brother. was only one leader of the synagogue. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That's one. strong. Strong, sir. That's strong. Hey. Lance, as we as we bring this episode to a close, sir, do you have any parting words for the congregation? Do you have a benediction? That um, you no one can hold you more accountable than yourself. Mm. Wise. It's very profound, sir. I like how you think. That's, that's very wise and profound, <laughs> I like how you sir. Think, man. If you if you ever look for Lance, if you want to hook up with Lance, Lance is amazing at a lot of things. Nonsense clothing, uh, eliminate you media. All the things that you would need for photography to be videography, he demand DJs. He may even strip a little bit for you ladies out there. Hilarious. <laughs> my hips out, my hips out, but hey, I got my right. Hilarious. <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, find a man. How can they find? How can the people find you? Uh, illuminate Hugh Media on all social formats. Boom. There you go. Illuminate, illuminate Hugh. Hugh with an H. Media. Hugh. Illuminate Hugh Media. Hugh is spelled H U E. Right, illuminate hue media. So it sounds like we're saying illuminate who media. It's illuminate in, you. In, you use it in a sentence. What's better than one billionaire? Two, especially when they're the same.
you as you. Did you really just quote Jay Z right I now? I had to. I had to in that moment. I hate you. Right I'm sorry, now. John. Do you have parting words or a benediction? Um, yeah. So, so I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you for listening. I hope you continue to tune in. You know, we we righteous and ratchet ratchet over here. So, you know, we got to go both ways. In the meantime, pause. in between time, yo, oh, good pause, great pause. Um, yo, but keep us keep us uh, in your in your mind and subscribe. Uh, listen, leave a comment, leave some feedback. We always looking for topics for the shows that are coming up. Um, I can't wait to uh, continue to, to continue down this journey. So, yeah, we'll see you next week. Uh, y'all know how it goes. I try to give some parting uh, something. Honestly, Lance has laid it flat, ironed it, and hung it up in the closet. So I, I don't really have anything wise to say. Uh, at the end of this, politics and 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 gospel uh, have their places, both individually and together. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really going to be up to how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a temple or not? Uh, how you see yourself will be how you conduct yourself. And how you conduct yourself will determine how you will treat others that you come across. Uh, I hope that you're treating one another with love and that you're loving yourselves. Uh, prayers go out to my family. You know who and you know why. I love you. I'm lifting you up. Uh, until next time, this is Rob. This is John. Lance, Lance just is LP, Lance. But at the end of the day, she team signing out. Peace.